0: Time for another period of questions and responses. John Chita and I will uh, trying to um, pick out what might be most helpful for all of you. We thought to start with a couple of questions that we'll put together. How do I understand the difference between wise caution and un- anxious reaction, especially my deep concern for the welfare of my family at this time of COVID? Species extinction and deep imbalance, and bringing that into the sense of when the planet is in chaos, what can be trusted here? It is said, when the mind is at peace, the world is at peace. But if so, and I train my mind, will the rest follow, or will I just feel better? Because if I feel deeply, how can I not be affected and still affect deep change in the world? for the future well-being of loved ones. So it seems really a question, all of us grapple with, isn't it? How do we meet the world? Where does our cultivation sit in that? So Ajahn, do you want to some opening comments to that and then?
1: Yeah, well, it's a lot of grief, really. I think grief's quite quite valid. Uh, condensation of experience in this world and you know one can sort of try to get away from it or cheer up or find solutions or something but I think grief is a realistic <laughs> response it doesn't mean you have to get shattered by it if you can't actually accept grief I mean, accept grief is a pretty trite statement, isn't it? it? Takes quite a bit of doing, uh, you know. But I know that that the kind of pulling away, we can't. No, we've got to do. We mustn't. Oh no! What if? They're just that tugging. Um, I don't personally find that helpful. And if I, uh, I find if I do manage to open to to grief then generally what comes out of it is love Uh, and then what comes out of love is whatever i can do you know whatever i can do because i'm going to do what i can do you know yes i'd love to do more but i can do what i can do (laughs) you know i can do what i can do that's it uh yeah i'd like people my loved ones not to die and... yeah <laughs> I know intellectually it's easy to understand they're going to die but emotionally it's not easy yeah. you know I don't have kids and I'm grateful for that frankly because I'm, I'm a, I'm a warrior on that level I, I'm very you know I'm very soft hearted <laughs> and I, I don't think I could manage it but then, in a way, yeah, anxiety is letting it all happen, yeah. but uh, in a way it's, it's fretful and really, I mean, it's bound sound difficult, to say. but My sense, I'm telling you what I sense, it's up to you. My sense is one had to accept, one has to so open to the possibility of pain and destruction. Uh, I uh, really don't want it to happen, I hope it doesn't happen. If I can open to that, you know, then in a way I found a center where perhaps I can operate more freely and fully and graciously. And that's the best I can do. And it means I can also live, live now, rather than live in a depressed, anxious state. I can live now. And I can, if I can live joyfully, maybe that's part of an offering. Uh, with care and whatever I can do you know I'm doing solar panels on you know the whole whatever I can do I can do and it doesn't have to have a result it's just what I do what I can do because I want to do what I can do <laughs> the results are beyond me that you know? means I do find a, an axis within this, uh, within this domain Critical domain.
0: Yeah, this sense of you know, we can do what we can do, yeah? And how how do we get what feels to me the kind of ground and strength, yeah? To actually be with everything in a way. And some of it is quite heartbreaking on many levels, yeah? And we, but we're here and when I first left New Zealand seeking a place of practice, I went with it three verses, and one of them was, become good before doing good, then goodness is a natural result. Yeah? And it was a kind of koan for me, along with the other two koans. But it was the sense, this came from a Sufi teaching of the heart cultivation, yeah? And at different points, I questioned that about the balance of it. But what I see more now is if I can actually come into right relationship with what is here, I have better possibility of being in right relationship with what is there. And then trembling, the anxiety, are allayed to some extent. Maybe they'd never completely go in some way. We tremble the heart, trembles the welfare of being yeah. But the... Uh, the gestures out come and they're fearless. And as you're saying, Arjun, we do what we can do and it arises spontaneous naturally. So from being completely here, then the gesture is to serve. You know, as I was saying yesterday, we serve the Dhamma, we serve our communities, we serve our family. We serve the cat, yeah? We The gesture is one, you know, of coming more deeply into relationship with greater strength. And the Brahma, viha really have to be there, all of them, and that deep sense of cause and effect, you know, that I do what I do and I can have no expectation of the results because if I do, then only agitation will follow. It's not that I'm not reflective on the feedback that comes in, but I, I'm trying to do the best I can. Yeah. And the thing I've found over the years really helpful, having tried to serve at different places, yeah, is to see I'm not alone in that. Yeah? I'm part of a whole field. Yeah, on connection and you know, Eliza and I were talking the other day that sense of in a way, being in a relay and people do what they can do and then it becomes my time to offer what I can offer into the world, yeah, for why I have life and breath. And then that time will be over and someone else will pick that up. Yeah. But I'm in this stream of service. And there's something about feeling that stream that gives us strength. Yeah. Or you can even feel it as the generations before before you, behind you. And then here we are. And generations of practitioners here, yeah? family, or all the different kinds of generations around you. And then you, you do what you can for your time. But you're not alone in that. And you're not having to do everything. So to come into proportion with what is possible. But we see beings who have really freed up their heart, they make an enormous difference in the world, don't they? You know, they become real fields for blessings. So I trust us because you know, I have seen how, you know, how it actually can really generate goodness and well-being for others. That so would be my response to an old friend here. We have these such tender hearts, don't we? There's a a question about someone with a history of chronic mental health issues, yeah, about the place of antidepressants and medications within managing, you know, what can be happening in terms of mental health. Is it good to actually take psychiatric medicines and where do they fit with The three refuges, knowing that they can bring dullness and other consequences for mind and bodies. Maybe I can just give a brief comment, and I just said Tito in that sense that you know, we have a responsibility to look after this being, don't we? And we all have very different kama. So, within what the understanding of this spine that there are medications that can make tremendous difference to our capacity to actually meet the world, just as nourishing food can, just as all kinds of things that actually help maintain wellbeing. So, and I've, I've spent a lot of time with people with really severe mental health affliction, and you can really see that... Medication, in a way, it's like you're drowning without it, yeah, or can be drowning, and it can just give enough stability in a way. People have got their heads out of the water and they can then start doing this other work to do what brings health and wellbeing. So I have no doubt about their place, and I also know how hard they can be in terms of the side effects. So it isn't an easy choice here. But in a way, we have a duty to keep ourselves as well as we can with current understandings of how that might work. And sometimes, you know, we get on this little box of the medication and then we can do the heart work that starts to mean things free up. But sometimes it's just... It's almost just chemical, and it's just something we have to accept, just like some of us have to accept physical conditions, is what I would say. We just have to get our hearts around it. It can be really painful to do, because there's such stigma.
1: I just would agree to everything you said, Willa. I don't have anything more to say. Not, not interested, but I have nothing more to add. I would affirm everything you say on that level.
0: Okay. We've got a question here that is a kind of fun question, and it says, could you condense the teachings to cut through all the confusion that may arise to flood the heart and offer hands-on examples how to practice that condensed approach in a way that will keep going and surely reach the goal?
1: Yeah, so in three words, I don't... Sīla samādhi Panya. Well, very good. Do you want to round that out a little? Well, if you're only three words, that's, that's the three. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't want to be facetious, but actually the condensed version isn't that condensed. You, you know, if you condense it anymore, you, you lose the, the tools. You know, you can say okay, just let go of body and mind. That's a very simple statement, but you've got to have the details. Um, you know, I mean, the Buddha. I don't think he was wasting his time. You know, he recognised when he gave a talk, this might be the only time people would see him. So he he just he did it as direct as possible. It of course, all people would be able to get hold of. You know, I mean if you've got a really condensed teaching could you practice it if i just said okay drop body and mind that's pretty condensed can you do it you know you say cultivate you know morality samadhi and wisdom that's pretty condensed can you do it don't you need a little bit more detail and, and time uh, uh, you know it's uh, it's a cultivation, you can't grow apples any quicker than they'll grow. You know, you can give them all the love, of, but they can only grow as fast as they can grow. The uh, simple advice is you need the soil, you need the, sila, you know, you need the feeding, the samadhi, and then Bunya it opens up. But that growing takes time. Do you like to crunch it up, Willow?
0: Well, yeah. You know, I was thinking when I thought this, I said, "What have I boiled my practice down to?" Yeah, and I said, "Well, as we've been teaching, you know, upwriting the chatter in love, and then really upwriting it so that it's so grounded, so um, it it just doesn't lean on anything." Yeah. And then you think, well, all right, but there's huge things around that, yeah. You know, you know, to have a chitter that does not lean on anything, I mean, yeah. So, yeah, condense that to that. But then, how do we get there? You know, what's needed for that to really ripen as a whole journey process? So. To me it seems we have to pick up the round fullness as you were saying Bhante Sila Samadhi And really let the whole thing ripen.
1: Ajahn Man who was a great forest master, he was considered the kind of, almost the great progenitor of all the meditation teachers in North Thailand sort of took him as an inspiration and he was extremely um diligent very full-on all the time and, you know, they said how many precepts do you keep so, i only keep one precept he said what's that i said i watch the mind constantly <laughs> and it's like what's your meditation i watch the mind constantly you know with an eye of discernment that's simple yeah I mean that's crystalline but you've got to have a pretty good eye to do that and I'm wavering and I wish you good luck with that yeah, there's a case of letting things ripen isn't it mm-hmm.
0: and if you let things ripen You'll get your own way of understanding, you know, in a way, your own language for what that looks like for you. You All these things are talking about the same thing. But we need our, in the end, our own way of referencing and making sense of it. So, yeah. Another question. I would like to know what kind of relationship I can find or cultivate towards the gods and celestial beings as they are mentioned in the verses of aspiration. So maybe I start off and then pass to you, Ajahn. I find, you know, there's this chant, you know, we're really broadening out. We've all grown up in different understandings of the cosmos here. Yeah. Here it makes perfect sense. We're in Matariki, which is a celebration of. Certain of the you could say cosmic forces, mm-hmm. and there, certainly in this country, there's a real understanding of beings that are not visible on a human realm. You know, I grew up with tanifas and so big water nuggets and things. and you know, we've had we've had big road projects blocked for months while these beings were moved, allowed to move into different locations. So. You, know, you may be in a country where there's an understanding that it's not just what you can see with your eyes, exists. And what I would say in this chart is if you're not where those things actually are just part of your experience of the world, then it's a chance to open up into the fact that the world is bigger and more mysterious than the basic elemental material world here. So that's how I would hold it. For me, I get I get other beings as I chant this arising in my, in my awareness. But And within Buddhist cosmology, there are all kinds of orders of beings. Now, some of you will have relationship with those. For others of you, it may not be the case. Yeah? But it's just a case of opening. Hey, come out of some kind of limited sense of what the world is. And it's very helpful for the heart. To open more into the kind of mystery, the unknowing. Yeah? And to just scatter our goodness everywhere. It's kind of uncramps the heart, yeah, in my experience. You just get a sense, wow, the world is so vast and mysterious. How do you work with Celestial beings and gods. You know, what sure relationship with that?
1: I I mean there are all different levels of them, of celestial beings. But I I mean the easiest ones are the nature ones, nature nature gods, nature deities. You know, I'm, not, I'm not saying, you know, little fellows with spiky hats, but when you just sort of see the miraculous forming and growth and um energy lifestyles of, of plants and animals and the way the whole thing is is uh, knitted you know seamlessly fluid and there's a kind of brightness when you come to a piece of nature that's not been messed up you know compared when you go to somewhere that's all kind of trampled and squashed and artificial trees stuck in the ground and you know you kind of always a little bit Wild, which isn't very much left in Britain, because you've met a bit stuff. you can feel the happiness of, of, of the, just feels happy, and uh, and uh, you know I, I I live. It's like it's right there. i two arms reaches. There's grass, you know, <laughs> out there. There's a tree. I got a little shrine under the tree. I put under that tree. And I look at that shrine. I've made that shrine. That tree, I think. If there's any celestial beings around, they're going to be in that tree because that's where I'd be <laughs> absolutely. A, so I go to that tree, I don't, you know, I go in. I, I recognize it, I look at it, I honor it. Yeah. I mean, tree, whatever you are, you are amazing, you are fantastic, you are beautiful, you are great. I'm so pleased to be living with you. That's my puja to the tree. You know, my heart opens to that. And I look around and the same thing. Because this is something, you know, I'm, I'm a bit not that refined, really, on these celestial levels. But that one I can kind of get some access to. And, uh, you know, when you see a, a great river, oh, you just feel, wow, this river's got some some life in it, some energy in it, some... yeah, so, You know, they've made one of the rivers in New Zealand is now regarded as a living creature, you know, which I think is beautiful. Because we get such a sort of sort of stuck mentality around kind of material world clock, and then immaterial dead you <laughs> know or even it's material like nature's just lumps of wood with no intelligence in it uh, stupidity this stuff which is life you know it's got intelligence in it it's intelligent and um you know i don't know what that intelligence is but to me that's pretty godly Intelligence—that's that's got a, some—that's that's that's godly, and I can manage that one. And I think also there's my sense of—I would not say prayer, but reaching out to, you know, whatever is there in the terms of the cosmic order, the cosmic benevolence of praying, you know, support, help, be here, you know, because I think the more we neglect it the more we cut off the source of something miraculous, which is what we really need. You know, us human beings, we suffer tremendously from this arrogance. As if we're the only only intelligent creatures around. It's really deadly. So I just want to come out of that and offer recognize the intelligences that are way beyond me. That's my way of... of, of uh, Accessing it. Mm.
0: Absolutely. And that sense, with, certainly within monastic monasteries, you know, before some chanting, there's this invitation for these different beings to come and listen to the teaching. You know, I carry that with me as I'm doing things. So you know, it can be really beautiful to even just read the Dhamma out loud some of these beautiful texts, and know that, hey, whatever beings who are there who'd like to listen, if there are beings who would like to hear these beautiful teachings, we we can offer them that way too. It seems to be, in a way, coming into a bigger relationship with the world. So keeping moving here, Several times the phrase, committing to waking up, has been mentioned. I'm open and receptive to the possibility of awakening this lifetime, however committing to it has a feeling of selfishness entangled with wanting and striving intentions. So, Ajo, committing to waking up.
1: Well, you probably start from impure, uh, you know, pure impure base because if probably means you, you realise you're not awakened right now. So you can't come from a place of awakened purity, you've got to come from a place of I want I want I want to get something out of this. And start with that, you know. But then as you go along, you know, you can uh, you know, say as I said, Sila Samadhi Panya, get your get your virtue together, get your start doing your practice, you know. And then, and then, your, you get the dukkha of, you know, recognizing your your self vehicle isn't actually adequate for it. As hard as you make, as hard as you push it, your self vehicle that you've relied upon to get you to awakening, because that's all you have got, it, it's not adequate, and something you begins to have to open to something bigger. And that's really the mudra of awakening. Is that you know, going down a, this path that's impossible <laughs> for the self. You get somewhere along it, and you've got it. Okay, once you get faith in the path, when you get faith in the path, then gradually you have more faith in the path, than you have faith in the in the in the in the in the ego. And then gradually, you know, okay, okay, I'll let go of that. Because I trust virtue, even though it's uncomfortable. I trust uh, um, you know so the, it sort of takes you from the place we have to start, which is impurity, takes you through and gradually you begin to your chitta becomes comes out of the self vehicle and begins to see, oh, this piece I can let go of this piece is not worthy of me. This piece chitta says I can I can rise above this. Sometimes the tutor says, we're going this way. And the self says, no, no, no. So the, self, the tutor says, we're going this way. And the self says, no, no, no. And the tutor says, we're going this way. <laughs> and it, okay, we're going this way. You're going to give up things. Oh, no, no. Yes, you are. <laughs> and, okay. <laughs> and it, that's kind of, that's, that's my sense of it. Yeah, my sense of it you know I, well you know i started from impure place of course uh you know do this for a little while get some meditation together get my head together yeah knock out this enlightenment project maybe three months then get back on to doing something else you know i was that thick okay so you get there you try and three months later you're not quite there yet a bit harder, a bit harder. <laughs> not quite there yet and then you've kind of, got to think oh the vehicle you start to learn something about letting go of expectation letting go of goals letting go of self-criticism getting more patient equanimous and oh, yeah, that's that's the way that's the way and you keep that commitment keep the commitment that's the thing and to know you know is the commitment really you know refine it to awakening or becoming it's not so easy to to see the difference i want to become enlightened or you can wake up
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah, you know you can get caught by the kind of paradox of the whole thing can't you you know that sense that they're there's a path which has a sense of time and somebody walking it, yeah? So that can have that energy of becoming me, wanting to get somewhere, yeah? But actually in the lived reality, it's only here and now, yeah? And so it's imminent, yeah? And it's how do we, you know, hold those two things together, that there's a a path of cultivation, and there's only this moment. And I think if we keep the reference to here and now, some of that um, sense of striving and have to improve things kind of falls away immediately. So I know I often say at the beginning of the time of practice, you know, we come from here, we sit down, really commit or we sit, ground ourselves in our, commitment to actually waking up, to to seeing clearly. Yeah. And what I'm meaning in that moment is it's so easy to sit down out of habit and then just go into some drowsy dull state, yeah. which drowsy dullness to me is very, their very opposite energy, what we need to be cultivating, which is presence, mindfulness, alertness. Yeah. So even in that simple thing, if I walk in this door, I sit down here, and I go, "Yeah, this is very precious time. Might be the last moments of my life. Who knows?" And I'm, I have full commitment to do what it takes to be here, and whatever comes around that, yeah. And in my practice, it's made a, a real shift actually in, in how I work with breath, with everything, because it's that sense of being complete, yes. you know, say so completely upright and not letting experience any breath, everything come. Yeah, so not it starts to mitigate against that tendency to lean out, grasp, which we see in our relationship to breath, our relationship to practice, our relationship to everything. Yeah, so. To really come into the receptivity of the mind. My name that, you know, one of my names has got will in it. Yeah. And so we kind of usually have relationships to the unconscious relationships to what we're called There's the whole psychological studies on it. And so my willpower is really strong. And that we can get tremendous states of samadhi jhana or kinds of stuff from willpower, but they go nowhere. They're just more deeply entrapping. And, in, you know, you can get into credible states and you realise trapped yourself by your will. So it's it's to really practice about softening that chetana, you know, that wanting, that striving. So we do that first An easiest place to do that is in relationship to the breath, to come into receptivity, to come into availability, to let ourselves be touched, to to be touched by something beautiful and loving. Because that striving has tremendous anxiety underneath it Yeah, It has a sense that there's something wrong with this being and they have to go somewhere. So we're, we're coming out of that. That would be my response. That's what I mean by committing to waking up. Really committing to being here. Yeah. To being here with love, knowing what's going on, yeah. Not some altered state, Yes. So no tendencies, eh? are ways of picking up the world. These are the things we have to work with and understand and meet and get medicines for, so that the practice really comes into balance. Shall we move on? A number of questions have come in really about relationship to practice relationship to the world. So I read a few of them, one asking about how I did the transition out of the monastery, which is really in the same territory. Um, So I've spent three months in a lot of practice in nature while having a break from work. I returned yesterday. I'm now neither of the world nor in it. My psyche doesn't want to repeat mechanical processes at work. They feel too rigid. Almost feels like reversing the space that opened up in nature. What is your suggestion on skillfully returning and integrating the practice in this context? And then there's another um, question or, or statement here. There have been studies into email apnea which show how we are holding our breath during this activity. I find I was doing that. Can you say something? Helpful about this disturbing findings, please. Bye, John. You certainly have a lot of emails to answer. You know, how do you transition between these different modes of experience?
1: Well, yeah, I, I, the last piece of nature that's left is the body. So, you know, if you keep there's the body in mind and the breath in mind, not you know, and the breathing body in mind and the breathing energy in mind. You know, remember the breathing in mind is not just lungs, it's the sense of bodily vitality, bodily presence, bodily body feels here and happy and awake, you know. Then if that's starting to go, then it's time to I find just take even a couple of minutes. Stop. You know, a little more attention to breathing more attention to standing Sometimes just get up, get up my feet do standing down the spine into the ground almost as if you are asking the earth your feet listen to the earth and the energy begins to steady itself so um, I suppose the simplest way to say it is to keep, keep the energy in mind You know, we are often Increasingly uh, surrounded and immersed in automatic energy, in machine energy, in silicon energy, right? Uh, machines, bleepers, buzzers, times, abstract stuff. Um, you know, this is just um, not that healthy. Uh, my sense is you've got to really <laughs> spend some time out of it, uh, I don't know what your life allows you, but um, you've got to get out of it, in my opinion, you've got to switch stuff off, if it makes it a little more inconvenient, remember machines, the machine world always promises convenience and speed, these drugs, these are drugs convenience is a drug it's sedative speed is a drug They promise it you don't want it you know so i'll soon have it a bit awkward please i, mean, I can actually feel my body doing it you know? so uh you know oh this you know I mean, whenever you're working, if you're working in offices, you're driving in cars, you're in traffic, you've got traffic lights, you've got flashing signs, symbols and and generally in that situation, you know, people get pretty edgy, some people really lose it in those situations, you know, because the system is just stressed by it, some people do better than others, but it's stress. Uh, and often people close, close because of the stress. They to handle it, close off. their some of their radiant, <laughs> empathic energies get closed down just to to, to deal with that. And we don't even know it's happening. Your body knows it's happening. I do. Yeah. And so you get out of that car. Okay, let's just take a, you know let's take five minutes even. you know. When I travel in airplanes, I used to travel in airplanes, long-distance airplanes. I go and do a little bit of qigong in the galley. It was just standing like a tree, qigong, do some qigong in the galley. I mean, you know, the host, stewardess, of whatever they call them. Like, uh, but they, I look so weird anyway. They kind of think, just leave it alone. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I get away with it because i don't want to mess with this guy it's, it's totally weird so i could stand somewhere like this because <laughs> it gives me the, you know it gets me back deeply into the body all the body energy channels open with that 15 minutes of qigong somewhere uh, you know you can take these little kind of tips in 15 minutes 10 minutes of standing just standing like a tree you know rooted to the ground anything to get to get that back and then you've got to also look at the kind of automatic nature of it of, of the machine world it's 7 o'clock it's 8 o'clock it's 9 o'clock it's 10 o'clock you've got 10 minutes of this you've got half an hour of that. just what can you break can you break out of that 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 uh, dead March you know that automatic March just the, you know a few seconds here a minute there chip away at it, you know to get something more like organic rhythm going in what you're doing, you know, try to not get to when things are on time. Either get early or get late, but don't arrive on time. It's an insult. <laughs> because, you know, it means, well, how can you do that? I mean, sometimes it happens. Generally, I'm early, personally, because I feel I don't want to, I don't want to have other people waiting. But I never arrive on time. I'm generally early. Rarely late, but because I I can't operate authentically around these kind of numbers, you know. So I I accept the fact I'm going to be standing around waiting for a bit. Fine, you know, stand and wait, just do some practice, do some practice. Waiting 10 minutes, do some practice, just standing, breathing. Just look at a body here. So it's my, my, it's just to break some of these rhythms up. Yeah. If you're working, I hope you're not doing seven day a week. You get, you know, look at look at your, look at the thing very realistic. If you're doing five days a week or something, you've also got to do house duties and so forth. See if you can carve out at least half a day when you just, ooh, you know, <laughs> just loosen up, go out to nature anywhere you can, get into your body do some exercise, you know, these sort of things to, to, to regenerate your energies and, uh, you know, because it's, uh, that's, you know, I mean, it's such a kind of archaic saying, isn't it? We belong to the planet, you know, it's the kind of, you realize there's, there's this kind of native people who used to say that, oh, interesting, old primitive belief have to be damn right. <laughs> you know, and you can feel it when you get your feet into the ground and you're breathing true air. You think, yeah, that, they were dead right. Energetically, we do. Psychologically, we've gone out of it. But energetically, this, this body does, and you want to re- return to it. So those have be been my comments.
0: It's a real edge, isn't it, for a soul. When I saw these questions, you know particularly since there's a reference back to the transition really from monastic or you could say more um inward protected states out into unprotected places and states, you know what that's like, and we're all making that um journey really, many of us making that journey and one thing was really clear in that that movement for me is is one of the things the Buddha said about where he kept his mind. Yes, yeah? so when no one was around, he could, in a way, abide in the nirvana element. But then he met the world with metta, Meta Karuna. So, well, that's the, that's the, um, in, in a way, that's the guidance on how do you come in relationship as you come out from these inner states. Come into right relationship that has love in it. So I found that really helpful as a as a way of meeting it. And then from the Zen teaching of the ox herding pictures, you know, you all know them. But the last movement is to go back into the marketplace with helping hands. This is what our work is, isn't it? You know, wherever it is, whatever we're doing, yeah, we're doing that. And then there's how do we get the energetic, this delicate, sensitive being in a way where that is possible.
1: Yeah.
0: And the, in that transition from the protectiveness of the monastery into the into the you know, experience out of it was really incredibly shocking for my energy body, yeah. I, I was you know, very quickly in a way found myself in a city and with a job which was needed but it, it had an hour and a half's commute. Yeah? And what I would notice is my when I woke up in my morning the whole body would be like this and kind of nauseous. Yeah, and what I noticed was it was the the bodies um, having a kind of the impact of being in this traffic. Yeah, some of it at a 110 kilometers an hour. Sometimes zero. Accidents everywhere. Yeah. And what what was really helpful to see how impactful most of our lives are. Yeah, the kind of energy that these systems are having to hold and meet. And of course they got more resilient with it. And, and so that was easy. But it's too. Just respect how much we're actually encountering is my sense of it. And then we go into the workplace, yeah? And the sense is Ajahnar Svachicco saying, these bodies are nature bodies and bodies we meet at work and nature bodies. So we stay connected in that way, bringing forth love. And I found that, I still find it really helpful. And then keeping mindfulness, keeping awareness, keeping awareness on the back of the body, on seating, you know, keeping the heart seated in friendliness and kindness. These all help. For me, their walking meditation becomes really vital, yeah? When we stand up, when we walk. They may own us when we're sitting down at the computer, yeah? And certainly in my work, there was more work than you could do if you worked 24 hours a day, yeah? But when I'm walking, I'm free, you know. As I'm walking to another meeting to meet with somebody, you can just abandon the mental proliferation and come into the body and the ground. And that's, I found it's incredibly helpful mm. to come out of the pressure mm. and just come back home mm. when... Um, Ajahn Sattu to myself, we've done work at Karuna Institute, yeah, and one of the things they're really strong on is the sense of you keep attention one-third here, one-third on the other, and one-third on the field. Yeah, and I find that really helpful too, yeah, that there's work to do, there's emails to do, but there's always a reference here, yeah, feeling the body, feeling the back of the body. That we, as much as we can, we never abandon the citta.
1: Never abandon the citta. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it takes the kind of work of meditation, I would say, and of being in nature, so that we have the capacity. Yeah. Because if your work is anything, particularly like my work in Melbourne, it had so endless amount of work and such an urgency working with folk who are dying in their families. Yeah. Impossible to meet. Yeah. So to stay connected to love, to stay connected to the chitta would be my encouragement to us all. Yeah. Work is so endless. End of the day. You do what Liam always said is at the end of the day it's finished. And we'll pick it up again, new each day. It's
1: okay, like you've got to challenge the language that gets into your system, the language of the world, like urgent and a uh, little bit, you know, get it done by. He's got deadline. It's kind of the language like that, you know, don't miss out. Deadline, convenient, easy, new, progressive—you know—this stuff gets into your system. Uh, It's—it's insidious. This stuff. Um, You know, what does it mean? It generally means, you know, let go your chitta and go into craving of some kind. You know, lose your natural rhythm and go into overstimulation of some kind lose your natural energy going to kind of driven sometimes it's, it's, it's kind of you know it's, it's cosmetic language but when you get down to what it's actually doing to your nervous system and people just revved up um, because of deadline and get it done and get a good standard and keep you know, upwardly moving this kind of stuff going on you know and um, better and my sense is good enough Is the the line no deadline? It finishes when it finishes. Good enough is what we're looking for. If it's better than good enough, something's gone a bit strange. (laughs) Somebody's had to squeeze themselves to make it better than that. I don't want that. Yeah, so you've got to really, in my opinion, just listen to some of the, the words that run through your heart that you feel doing things to you, and it's the language. Of the, of the atmosphere that we're in. You're getting it saturated all the time in this language with its messages and its signals. And you've really got to look at that stuff pretty clearly. Just what's it do? What does it do? This is my life. The only one you know. What are you giving it away to? And you, I'm taking it back. It won't be so convenient, it won't be so easy, it won't be so comfortable, but it's more. i taking it back. Well, this is the general, I mean, you know, what well, do as best you can. But these are things that I would reflect upon.
0: And this whole movement, you know, out from the inward into relationship is something really that you're talking about and Sydney. certainly. Um, both I know I just to you know, have started to today, has been all along. I will just start to reflect on more because it's so important, yeah. You know, relating here, relating there. So yeah. Yeah, it's hard when you're working for the mouse, isn't it? Come to the end of the time, so we'll leave it Yeah, there are questions still unanswered, of course, and we'll pick up what we can tomorrow. Thank you.
1: Thank you.